We're going to turn to, uh, to Exodus chapter 5 and 6 this morning. Just going to move some things out of the way here. Exodus chapter 5, if you're new to the Bible, just simply go to the table of contents and you can find the page number for Exodus. And that's where we will be at today. Read along, follow along in your Bible with me while I read God's Word. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they they have made in the past, you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, Let us go and offer to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to these lying words. So, the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work and daily task, uh, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, when, when Pharaoh's taskmasters had set, set over them, were beaten, and they were asked, Why have you done all your task of making bricks today? And, and, and Why have you not done, I'm sorry, all your task of making bricks today and yesterday? as in the past. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why I say to you, uh, that, that is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to our Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants." And have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? 
Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to, Mo- to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and, and, and uh, gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you help us as we dive into this story. We recognize that this is not just simply a story from the past that is to be locked away in the history books, but rather this is a story that speaks to us today. It's a story that frames our own existence. And we ask that you would help it, Lord, to to come alive in our own hearts. And we might see that while we are going through terrible times, that you are a God that can still be trusted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The year was 1752, and another slave was born into the, the land called Virginia. His name was George Lyle. And he was given to, a, to an owner named Henry Sharp. He was then moved to the great state of Georgia, where Lyle grew up under the ownership of slave owner Henry Sharp. At 22 years old, George Lyle met a Baptist pastor named Matthew Moore. And Moore shared with Lyle the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Lyle was converted. Now, after Lyle's conversion, things began began to look up. Things began to change for the better. It was found that Lyle could preach. Those that would hear Lyle preach said that he sounded like the great George Whitfield. And it wasn't long before Lyle was set free. It began when his slave owner, Sharp, heard Lyle preach, and he said, hey, preached to the, to the other slaves so that they might hear the gospel. And for four years that went on, and I, I would like to think it was the conviction of the preaching that led Sharp to, uh, to change his, his mind about his own slavery. Um, 
But whatever it was that led Sharp to it, Sharp, after four years, let him go. He freed George Lyle. Now Lyle, born into slavery, was a free man. In his freedom, he went to Savannah, Georgia, where he was part of uh, the forming of and the planting of an early Baptist church right there in Savannah. Now things were looking pretty good for George Lyle. I mean, this was, considering the context and the day, this was quite a turnaround for anyone born into slavery. Here he is, free, starting his own life, a church planter. God in his kindness made things pretty good for Lyle. Only for a moment, though. In, in 1778, Sharp died. After Sharp's death, the rightful heir to Sharp's slaves demanded the reenslavement of George Lyle to flee uh, reenslavement. Lyle fled with the British to a little town called Kingston, Jamaica. Now, just kind of wrap your mind around this. Free, planning a church, probably living a fairly decent life, all of a sudden running, on the move, leaving everything that he knows behind, leaving behind a church that he helped start, leaving behind a life that he had found from freedom back into Someone who is owned by another. Sometimes things get terrible in life. Sometimes things take a turn for the worse. Now what happens when times are terrible in your life? What happens when... when uh, everything is looking good, and then all of a sudden, things just simply look bad. I want to show you two opposing verses. Look in your Bibles at chapter 4, verse 31. And chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, And the Lord believed... And when they heard that the Lord had, or the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped him. Now we see here, this is where our story left off last week, by the way. The people are rejoicing, things are good, they are going to be free. But then we jump forward, look at chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke to the people, but they did not listen to Moses. As a matter of fact, they're repulsed by Moses. The people moved from rejoicing to repulsion just like that. They received the word from Moses, we're going to be delivered. And now they're repulsed by Moses. question I want to ask is this, how did that happen? How did they go from rejoicing to repulsion just like that? Despising Moses. 
despising the word of God? Well, the surface reason is because things got terrible for them. Life was really bad for them. There's an old saying that goes, things get worse before they get better. You know, that's often true with the way that God moves. God will be on the move, and things get worse before they get better. You know, I mean, people that, I've, that I have had the opportunity to just walk with in their faith, and they become a Christian, and things get worse. <laughs> I can give you a couple biblical examples. When you think of uh, David, King David, anointed as a young man to be the next king of Israel, right? Do you remember this? And then what happens shortly after his anointing? King Saul, current king, turns on the man, and David is running for his life, hiding out in caves, wanted a refugee. Or we could think of Jesus' own example. The disciples are are following Christ, and they know that this is the Messiah who's going to be lifted up and glorified, only to follow him to the cross. They watch him being stripped. They watch him as he's beaten. Things often in God's timing get worse before they get terrible. Now this sermon is for those of you who are going through terrible times. If you're not going through terrible times, if everything's good for you right now, praise God for that. But knowing how life is, it's likely that terrible times will come, so I want you to listen in anyway. But if you're someone who says, you know what, times are, are, are terrible right now. I hope this sermon helps you. What makes times terrible? Well, at the root of it all is sin. What makes times terrible? You could, have the, you could say the ramifications of sin. That's sickness, death. Sorrow, sadness, mental illness, or the effects of sin, rather. The ramifications of sin, which would be the consequences of sin, the consequences for your own failure. The temptation to sin, the pain of of feeling that, that sense of draw can make times terrible. The guilt of sin, the nagging failure. If times are terrible for you, I hope you are helped this morning. Now, jumping into this story, if this was a movie, it would be, uh, there would be five scenes. All right, so let's just walk with this for a second. Five scenes in this part of the story. And I'm going to give each one of these scenes names to help you remember it. All right, scene number one, Moses before Pharaoh. Now, in our culture today, it seems kind of strange that uh, someone who is a slave or of the slave people would have an opportunity to stand before someone like Pharaoh, right? But actually, that was the custom of the day. In the ancient world, the, the great kings, it was expected of them to see and to hear the complaints of everybody and anybody in their kingdom. So here, we get to this point in the story where Moses is actually standing before Pharaoh. This is somewhat of a climax in and of itself. And Pharaoh, or from the get-go, Moses is a, uh, a screw-up. You might remember that God told him in chapter 3 to take the elders with him when he meets with Pharaoh, and, Pharaoh, or, and, and Moses only takes Aaron. 
took the wrong people. You might remember that, that uh, God said uh, to, tell Moses, uh, to tell Pharaoh that he, God had met with him. And as you see right there, he doesn't start off with that. He doesn't even mention it until after Pharaoh says no. You might remember that God said um, to say please. But he goes in and he immediately just has this demanding tone. Alright, this kind of sets the stage for the entire story. Where we see the word of God, the instructions of God, just ignored. And Moses kind of doing his own thing. Now, scene one ends with Pharaoh angered, right? Scene two, we'll, we'll call this one, hell breaks loose. We see this in verses 16 through 14, or 6 through 14, rather. Pharaoh basically says, they want to stop working? Evidently, they were probably just kind of waiting outside to hear, hear the verdict. They want to stop working? I'll show them. So Pharaoh then puts an end to the straw delivery. Now, I don't know if you've ever made straw, uh, bricks in the ancient world, but if you have, you would know that, that you need some straw for some consistency to make the bricks. No straw means no bricks, and it gets worse. Pharaoh said they need to produce the same number of bricks they've been producing every day. They need to make, meet, meet the same quota. Well, that's a problem without straw. So they're scrambling all throughout the empire trying to find stubble to use as a substitute for the straw. And then it gets worse. They're not making quota. And so the foremen, the Hebrew foremen, are pulled aside and as punishment, they are beaten. Well, this leads us to scene three, which we we will call foremen complain. First, they complain to Pharaoh in verses 15 through 18. That doesn't go anywhere. Pharaoh don't care. Then they complain to Moses in verses 19 through 21. And listen, when they complain to Moses, it's bad. They essentially damn Moses. They curse Moses. They say, you have made us stink. And they curse him. May God be against you. Scene four, Moses and God have a chat. First, Moses talks. And he complains. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. But then there's this turning point in the whole story of Exodus in chapter 6, verse 1, where God talks. And God, when he speaks to Moses, he reintroduces himself. And he assures Moses that he will save them, that he will bring them out of, out of, out of slavery in Egypt. And then God directs Moses back to Pharaoh. It says, do it again. Go to Pharaoh and say, I'm taking my people out of here. Scene 5, and we'll call this scene unbelief. And friends, this is where the story ends. Things just kind of drop, drop off here. This is like a season finale cliffhanger. Where it just stops with unbelief. Moses goes and he tells the people again, and the people, it says, they don't believe him. And then Moses goes back to God and he says, look, If the people of Israel don't believe me, if your own people don't believe that you are God and that you're going to deliver them, 
Do you think Pharaoh is going to believe? Absolutely not. And this is where it stops. This is where we're at. From rejoicing last week to repulsion this week. That's what strikes me in this story. How is it that Israel went from rejoicing to repulsion just like that? I'll tell you how. They never learned what it means to trust God during terrible times. They never learned that their faith is a faith that must be tested. They never learned that all true faith is tested faith. You know, all throughout the Bible, we see that. All throughout the Bible, we see that there is no true faith that is not tested. God tests, if you are a Christian, God tests every single one of you in some capacity, in some way, to see if you will turn from Him. To see if your faith will be proven to be genuine. 1 Peter chapter 4 We see that that suffering should not be viewed as strange by a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 2, we see that all genuine faith is tested faith. In James chapter 1, which Sade read this morning, we see that, that, uh, that, that those who persevere through suffering are people who are, are uh, that receive a crown of righteousness. In Matthew 4, Jesus himself explained it this way. He said, there are seeds that are planted in the ground, and, and then there's a, a plant that, that grows. Uh, the sun then comes out and beats upon the plant, and the plants that wither, the plants that can't take the sun, they don't have the, the root system, the structure to, to take the scorching heat that comes. Those plants that wither and die are an example of a false faith. There in James 1, you might have heard Sade say, as she read it, true faith takes the heat. It takes the scorching. It's tested. Meaning this, if, if you want to know whether or not you have a legit faith, then you need to go through some terrible times. Since all true faith is tested faith, Our call this morning is to trust God during terrible times. Now that sounds nice, right? It's it's easy for me to say from my position right now. You're going through terrible times, trust God. Well, first of all, what does that even mean? What does trust even mean? Let me give you a quick example. You're all trusting right now in your chairs, right? This is like the age-old example of trust. You have a pretty good reason to believe that this chair will hold you. It's held you in the past. You've seen it hold other people. All right, there's probably a name of some, some brand on there that's a pretty reputable uh, chair maker. And uh, without even thinking about it, you sat down in the chair. That's quite an act of trust. All right, you could have broke your caucus this morning. What does it mean to trust God? It means to sit down and rest in who God is. All right, But again, even that's easy to say, but what does that mean? What are, what are we to trust in? Let me, let me show you Israel's poor example. All right, We can learn from Israel's poor example this morning. 
And from their poor example, we can learn what it means to trust in God through terrible times. I want to show you three ways that, that, that we can trust God or that we should trust God during terrible times based on their own poor example. Number one, trust all of his word during terrible times. All and word being the key words there. Trust all of his word during terrible times. You see, Israel didn't hear all of God's word. They didn't trust all of God's word, only a portion of it. Let me explain it this way. We have a membership at the YMCA right around the corner. And the YMCA has a pool. And I hear uh, at least two or three times a week from one of my kids, can we go to the pool? Because my kids love to swim. And when I hear that, usually I'll say something along the lines of, if you can get your homework done in time, and if I can finish what I have to do, and if the pool is still open by the time we finish all of that, then we can go swim. And they hear, we can go swim. I know because one of them squeals right when I say it. They say, oh, we can go swim. Did you hear what he said? We can go swim. This is what experts call selective listening. Now, I'm not throwing my kids under the bus because I do this with God all of the time. And so do you. This is what Israel was doing with, with the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 21, part of God's word was that, uh, that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Part of God's initial word that was to be communicated to Israel is that they are going to go through terrible times before they get delivered. Oh, they didn't hear that part. All they heard was delivery is coming. In chapter 4, verse 30, Aaron told them, it says, all that God had said. Meaning, Aaron told him that terrible times are going to come before we're delivered. But they didn't hear that part. They only heard we're going to be delivered. And now they're looking at Moses. What kind of joker are you? What have you done to us? You know what Moses does? By the way, Moses heard with his own ears this word from God. You know what Moses does? The same thing. He turns to God and says, what's up? Why are you doing this? He he accuses God of evil, actually. How can you do this to, to your people? You have yet to deliver us, Moses says. This is the selective hearing of God's Word. We want ultimate deliverance now. We want to be delivered from our problems, from our trials, from the terrible times now. And we come together on, on Sundays and, and, uh, and we hear the word, in this world you will have tribulation. But do we believe that on Monday? Do we remember that on Monday when we go to work and all hell breaks loose? A.T. Motyer wrote an excellent commentary on Exodus, which has helped me even in this, this sermon. He said, he said, you know, a lot of Christians, they come together on, on Sundays 
they recite something along the lines of, I believe in God the Father, Almighty. But they don't know if they believe that until Monday. Until you wake up, and it's not Sunday anymore. And the challenges, the terrible times are back in your face. You know, our society that we live in, we, are, we have been told that God will bless us. But has our society been told that trials refine us? Our culture has been told that God will get you out of poverty. But have we been told what it means if, if God doesn't for a season? If bills rack up. If we lose our home. That's not what I signed up for. Without a theology of suffering, every single one of us in this room will quickly digress from rejoicing to repulsion every time suffering hits. When I think of the suffering of the African-American community in this country from the days of slavery through the, the racism and the prejudice during the civil rights movement, through issues today of stereotyping and profiling and abuse. We need a theology of suffering. The faith of the early uh, uh, American slaves, their faith was sur- uh, survived their slavery precisely because they had a theology of suffering. Because they understood that even during terrible times, God is still almighty. And they trusted all of His Word. As Christians, we should respond to terrible times with a deep sense of peace that the world knows nothing of. Christ Himself knew all of God's Word. While his followers heard, you're going to be glorified. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And his followers wanted right then and there for the kingdom of God to arrive on earth. Christ remembered all of the word. Which included suffering for him. As he stood in our place, as he died, a suffering, tortured death on the cross. Friends, have you heard all of God's Word? As you walk with another person in, during a, a terrible time, can you help them to remember all of God's Word? That, that, that there will be tribulations in life. This isn't counter to who God is. Trust all of His words. Secondly, we must trust all of God's character during terrible times. Now, I said chapter 6, verse 1 is the turning point of this entire section and in many ways the whole book of Exodus. We say, God, what's going on? 
We say, God, how could I have failed in such a way? We say, God, when are these circumstances ever going to change? And God, instead of focusing on us, focuses, turns the focus back to himself. I wish I could like illustrate this for you. What he does here in this, in this section. I wish I could give you a picture, but to be honest, pictures fail, fail me. I thought long and hard of a way that I could illustrate this, and I can't think of a good illustration. Because there's nothing like it. Moses is complaining to God about his own failure, about the circumstances that they're in, and God doesn't address Moses at all. He doesn't tell Moses how he's going to change Moses. He doesn't tell Moses how Moses can do it better next time. He doesn't even talk about the circumstances that are going to change. All God does is he reintroduces himself to Moses. Let me remind you of who I am. This is like a a father uh, walking with his daughter in the woods and the daughter is freaking out and, and thinks that they're lost and the father turns the face of the daughter toward himself and says, remember who you're with. Remember who I am in this moment. And trust his character. Look at what God says in chapter 6. He reintroduces his, 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 his covenant identity. He says, I am the God of this, this covenant, the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And he, he says, I am the Lord Almighty. Now that is the, the Hebrew words, El Shaddai. Shad is the Hebrew word that refers to a, a uh, nursing mother's breast. Everything that the newborn baby needs is found right there. And applied to the Lord, this means that God is the all-sufficient one. Everything that we need is right there. Not in changing circumstances. Not in even changing ourselves. You're in the middle of terrible times. What do you do? Here's what you do. You turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Moses wasn't reminded that he can do it. You can do it. God didn't tell Moses that he's going to just change Moses in some way. God said, look at my own character. So you are so focused on your own success. You're, you're so focused on doing better in some way. Making yourself better. Getting yourself together. Trying to, tr- trying to propagate your, your ideas and your visions and your dreams in the, in the world. And, and, and God wants you to look at Him. He wants you to stop looking at yourself and turn your eyes upon the all-sufficient One. Because it's in Him that you find all that you need. You're going through terrible times in your marriage. God wants you to know of His own character that He is one who laid down his life for his bride. You're going through issues of of being a, a single person. 
Be reminded that God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. No one cares for your work. No one cares for you at work. Know that God cares for you. You're going through times of horrendous suffering. Know that God doesn't merely hope that He can bring something out of it. It's not like God just allows something to happen in your life and He's saying, you know, I hope I can can turn something out of this. My goodness, this is a tough one. No. God is the sovereign God. The providential God. God has ordained this moment in your life because, precisely because, He is going to do something good and bring something good out of it for you. And what is that? At its very core, that is a faith that is refined and as pure as gold. Thirdly, trust all of His promises during terrible times. Trust all of His Word, trust all of His character, and trust all of His promises during terrible times. I'm running out of time here myself. But let me briefly just show this to you. He reiterates to Moses the promises. God says, I will, look at these verbs, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will bring you not only out, but I will bring you into the promised land. I will give you the promised land. God has promised to us that we will one day be glorified. That all of our desires and our wants will be met. That we will one day be free from the shackles of sin and the shackles of death. Deliverance is yours. And God is coming to you and He's reminding you, it's coming. It's here, but it's not yet. It's coming. Freedom is yours. He even goes on, he says, I am the Lord. Which signifies a sense of not just dominion over as king, but but relationship. It signifies a sense that God is not distant, but He is relational. This invites the reader to say, you, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are my friend. You are my hope. This means that all of God's promises are my promises. You know, we sing this song, we've been singing it lately, by faith. The chorus says this, we will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward until the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in what? Faith in the promises of God. Faith in the character of God. Faith in His Word. Every bit of it. And this is a faith that is refined by fire. This is a faith that is refined when Pharaoh's heart is hardened. This is a faith, a faith that is refined when you go through terrible times. When we go through terrible times, will you sit down and rest in who God is? Will you trust even when no one else does? 
you know, the story comes to a quick halt in verse 12. And it's, there's somewhat of a commercial break that happens. Like literally, just a st- like a cliffhanger. And then there's like genealogy about Moses, which is very common in, in ancient literature. Some uh, summary material. But it's a true cliffhanger. Because in this moment, nobody believes. Pharaoh doesn't believe, and Israel doesn't believe. And the question that we're left with at this climax is, does Moses believe? Does Moses trust God? Will Moses do what God has commanded him to do, even when all odds seem against him? And nobody believes. How much does your faith depend on others? Meaning if nobody else believed, it's just unpopular. Everything, every bit of it, every single one of us. How much does your faith depend on others? Now don't get me wrong, we need each other, alright? I'm not advocating for a Lone Ranger kind of Christianity. This is exactly why we come together uh, every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, so that we can be encouraged in our faith together, so that during the six days of the week when we are not together, and we look around and nobody believes that we might remain firm. Even when we fail, we are reminded of Jesus. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he was... He he was the only one that believed. He walked alone, abandoned by his disciples, and abandoned by every single one of us. We turned from him. You know, we're not saved because we believe. We're saved because Jesus believed for us. And the God-man, Jesus Christ, died in our place. Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Have you turned your face toward Him? And has the things of the world indeed dimmed in the light of His glory and grace in your life? Let me leave you with two questions to chew on. Number one, when God's timing doesn't match yours, will you still trust Him? You know, we live in a microwave, microwave culture. We don't want to wait for the Pop-Tarts to, to toast, so we stick them in the microwave for three seconds, right? Got to have everything like this immediately. And in this microwave culture, when God doesn't move as quickly as we want Him to move in our life, will you still trust Him. You want deliverance now. You want freedom now. You want success now. You want happiness now. Is God moving slower in your life than you want Him to? Are there any aspects of your life in which you, the life to which you are called that are just simply taking longer than expected? Are there any trials that you're facing right now? Terrible times that you're walking through. That, according to your own logic, should be 
done with. Like, we should be past this right now, God. He's not moving according to your own timetable. Will, will you still trust Him? Secondly, if God's knowledge of how much suffering you still need to face doesn't match how much suffering you think you can take, will you still trust Him? You know, George Lyle faced some truly difficult times. He didn't know what was going on when all of a sudden, after what seemed to be uh, 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 certainly an uptick in life, is now a, a, a sense of reenslavement, running for his own freedom, leaving behind all that he knows, going to this new land, this new city, Kingston, Jamaica. But you know what? George Lyle kept trusting in the Almighty God. And he kept preaching the gospel. So when he got to Kingston, what do you think he did? He started preaching the gospel. And he continued to trust in God no matter where God took him. Now, do you know that George Lyle became the first American missionary? Do you know that George Lyle founded the Baptist movement in Jamaica? Do you know that George Lyle saw revival in Jamaica and hundreds of both slaves and slave owners came to Christ? Do you know that through that, George Lyle sowed the seeds toward the complete abolition of slavery in Jamaica? When Jamaica looks back on their abolition movement, the first name that comes to mind is George Lyle. And when George Lyle closed his eyes at 68 years old, finally free from the tyranny of sin and death, he found that God was indeed an all-sufficient God. A God that can be trusted through all terrible times. Since faith is refined through terrible times, Will you trust Him? No matter what you're going through, will you trust all of His Word? Where it says that you will face terrible times, will you trust it? Where it says that the trials that you go through will refine your faith and will produce a faith that is as pure as gold, will you trust God in what He's doing in your life? Will you trust His character? Will you look to Him instead of your own problems? your own faults and failures? And will you trust His promises that He has not abandoned you and that all of His promises have found an amen in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Cling to Christ during terrible times. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would strengthen our faith as terrible times in many ways are inevitable. They are coming and they are upon us. We ask that we would have a faith that would remain, uh, that, that would prove to be genuine and that would be refined as we go through these trials in life. It is in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory that we pray.
Amen.